rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. The time is now 8.03 a.m. And you are listening to Good Morning, Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. We are joined in the studio today by a friend of the show, a city fan and favorite, Mr. Rick Guzman of The Neighbor Project. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's Good great to, to be you. with you again, Curtis and Christine you. and team. Yep. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about what's going on. All right. Here with my co-host and friend, Christine. Good morning. Hunter behind the mic. Here we go. And JV behind the camera making it all come together. Teamwork makes a dream work. So we have a lot to talk to you guys about today. We're going to make it quick because Mr. Guzman has some great updates for us uh, about initiatives that are very important in addition to voting taking place in the community. So firstly, on a somber note, the COVID-19 totals. So cdc.gov, we've been telling you, as we've been telling you guys since the beginning of this show, since way back, cdc.gov slash coronavirus has updated COVID-19 data. As of this moment, cases in the U.S. are 5,382,125. Total deaths are 169,350. That's an increase of 41,893 new cases and 654 new deaths compared to yesterday's data. Cases among healthcare personnel are 106, excuse me, 136,290, and deaths among healthcare personnel are 632. That comes as well amid an increase of COVID-19 um, data in the Kane and Will counties. And that's brought to us by the Illinois Department of Public Health. Uh, the target case rate over a seven-day rolling basis is 50 new cases per 100,000. King County is recording about 105 new COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people. Will County is recording about 93 new COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people. So please stay safe. Wear masks in public. Watch, excuse me, wash your hands. Stop attending and or hosting large gatherings. And businesses strictly enforce the wearing of masks in your establishment. King County Health Department is there at 630-208-3801. All right. The weather is partly cloudy. Currently 66 degrees, a high of 76 today. It'll also be still partly cloudy. Cloudy days are kind of nice. Tomorrow will be 77 degrees. And we also want to bring you up to speed on what our friends with Allen Force are doing fourth annual All-In for Veterans Charity Ride, August 21st through September 20th, help support veterans. Now, this is going to be a socially distanced event, still fun, on motorcycles. Not going to be a large gathering, excuse me, gathering. They're going to do it land nav style. Help support veterans today, and that's at Allen Forest, www.allenforest.org slash AIFV. The Kane County Sheriff's Office Zoom meeting. I've been telling you guys about this since last week. Thursday, August 20th from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., the Economic Empowerment Webinar. Learn from experts about a free program that will help you reduce debt, improve credit score, find safe and affordable banking. That's brought to us by the Aurora Financial Empowerment Group, the City of Aurora, and our friends at The Neighbor Project, which is an excellent segue. <laughs> <laughs> an excellent segue to begin with our interview with Mr. Guzman and my co-host, Christine. Well, welcome. 
Thank you, guys. Yeah, we're we're excited to be a part of this, and really, I have to credit Sheriff Ron Hain for the idea. Um, I've I've actually done some work uh, in the correction system, trying to help people re-enter and stay uh, out and get uh, acclimated, and it is it's tough. One of the things I appreciate about, about the sheriff is he says, you know, there's really three reasons why people come uh, end up with him yeah. over at the jail, and uh, the top two really are, um, you know. Uh, financial instability or lack of opportunity, poverty, you know, just the, that there are people who really don't have a lot of opportunity or choices, mental health uh, being another big one. And so he's sort of really committed himself to say, how do we address those issues while people are, are imprisoned uh, in the jail with him, but then follow them out on the outside and give them access to tools and resources that right. can can be helpful. And so we just happened to have this before we ever started. Sheriff uh, was knocking on my door saying, OK, when can we start? And finally, this May, we were able to launch the Financial Empowerment Center in uh, partnership with the city of Aurora. And that gave us this opportunity to start this conversation with the sheriff and Judy Dawson, who's awesome, over at uh, in his office. Shout out to Judy, Judy Dawson. Dawson. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. A lot of great people. And it takes, you know, obviously good people who are dedicated, who get it. Right. And Judy gets it. Sheriff Ron Hain gets it. And they have said, well, okay, let's let's target two populations. One are, are the folks who are kind of the, the, the idle population that are there. Uh, but they've been also trying to reduce those numbers, thankfully, because they've had some COVID-19 in the prison. Mm -hmm. So they've been taking folks who are nonviolent offenders and just kind of putting them on ankle bracelets and getting them out so right. that they can be safer. And then while and then so that's the second group, the people who are out in the community. Right who have barriers to employment, who have a lot of difficulties in trying to be able to, to, to um, don't have essentially the same opportunities as everyone because people look at them different or, wh or whatever the case may be, to target them. And that's what these empowerment webinars are about. Like, how do we get you into this free service that's actually, you know, it's funded by a grant, a private foundation, and through the city of Aurora and a lot of banks. There's a whole bunch of stakeholders who all say, hey, if our you know, fellow neighbors, our community members are financially stable. If they can have access to building their credit, if they can be able to save a little bit, uh, and if they can have a rainy day fund, then that's going to create stability and strength for all of us. All of us win when yeah. that's the case. Oh, yeah. And so we're fortunate to have some leaders like Judy and Ron that uh, really get that and wanted to make sure that the folks that they're working with have an opportunity to access these free services so that they can start to be able to be in positions of making their own you know, contributions to community strength. Tell us more about Rick Guzman. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Sure. Uh, well, so I, I, uh, I say that this is, this is one of these topics where I get asked this question a lot. And I say, well, I grew up in Aurora and next door, one of our neighboring uh, cities, because <laughs> I went to church in Aurora. Um, the, the school district that I was a part of, District 203, was not one that had the same kind of diversity uh, and, you know, great school system for sure. Mm -hmm. But um, there was always part of me that felt a little bit more at home with my youth group, which was right. very diverse. My church, which was up on Lincoln, just right here in downtown Aurora, Lincoln and Clark, uh, that actually started a bilingual uh, uh, service. And so when I was about 15... I started leading worship at that service uh, in English and Spanish. Um, I got to learn a decent amount of Spanish, and later in college, got to get 
I've been tested as functionally fluent, so I'm not really. It's like one of those <laughs> things where it's not, not quite fluent, but right. it's you know passes. And so, but I I learned a lot of my Spanish just from you know people in the community going to church and leading a church service that had both English it was literally translated as we went, and so we'd sing songs in both. And um, but and anyway, after I after uh, college, I I just always I never looked anywhere except Aurora, and so. Uh, almost 20 years ago now, I moved to the city of Aurora, just knowing this was where we wanted to be. And um, we specifically targeted the west side of Aurora because at the time, their uh, demographics were like almost a third, a third, a third. Like they're a little different mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, maybe 30 to 40 percent white, 30 to 40 percent Hispanic, 25 percent uh, African-American. This was like this is that's exactly what we wanted. And and. And as good as, as money can make a school, there's no amount of money that can actually buy that kind of real-world exposure and, and connection to people who are different in some ways. But, you know, differences are, are the best way to show us how much the same we really all, all are. And so that's what we're, where True. we wanted our kids to be. And that's where they are in, in the West Aurora School District. We'll experience so. all that. One, two, nine. <laughs> Shout yeah, that's out. Right. That's right. I see your EA sh shirt on over there. But uh, it's obviously, it's the city of Aurora, it's just one of its greatest strengths. Right. Uh, is its its diversity. And it's and it's not just ethnic, but it's cultural, artistic. It's mm -hmm. just like there's just a little bit of everything. The architecture, the neighborhoods, all of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So. So that's uh, that's where, and then you know, I think that I, I went to law school later on. I worked I worked for the governor of Illinois. I, I worked in the Department of Corrections in the reentry. Actually, headed up their office of reentry management. It was called, and uh, and then I went to law school. And coming out of law school, I had an opportunity to maybe, you know, kind of go back into government. But I actually took a, a brief stint into nonprofit work, and I really liked that. It was working in Aurora on some educational initiatives and and it, just as i was getting started there mayor tom Wisner, the late mayor mm -hmm. tom Wisner, who's a, really my greatest mentor he's someone he came he came knocking on my door again and said hey we're looking for somebody uh who you know maybe can help with some housing initiatives and my wife and i had started a nonprofit that was helping uh, mostly refugees and immigrants be able to become homeowners and we were kind of trying to think of innovative ways of leveraging existing resources, bundling them, partnering. And, and so I guess this building of the collaboration got the attention of the Dunham Fund, which is just getting off the ground. The Dunham Fund talked to the mayor and they said, hey, this is a guy, I guess this is the story anyway, that, that uh, could help. And at the time there was a problem uh, with some of our, um, there was a, a disagreement, I should say, between the Aurora Housing Authority and the mayor's office and a lot of the city council. And so they uh, put together a blue ribbon task force on affordable housing, and the mayor asked me to lead it. And uh, I, so I joined the city government, and we worked on a number of housing initiatives. And during that same time, I started looking at the possibility of merging this organization. My wife and I had started called Emanuel House with really our, our closest partner, which is called Joseph Corporation, which is a HUD-approved housing counseling agency. So you get a lot of resources from the federal government um, and uh, and do did all of our housing and home ownership education courses, financial literacy. And we partnered together really well. And over time, we just realized, hey, wouldn't it be a lot easier if we were just under one roof? And not to make it sound too simple, because it was about an 18-month process, but we eventually merged those organizations then to become the Neighbor Project. 
So sometimes when you ask me who who's who's Rick Guzman, I start talking about like what we do. That's all part of it. That's it's a blessing to have a vocation where it, it feels like, or, you know, actually an embodiment of what you believe in and, and uh, to be able to work on, on what you're passionate about. Yeah. What impact um, has your mom had on your life? That's uh, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to not get too deep into it here because my mom's going uh, through cancer treatment right right now. I'm sorry. Um, so, you know, this whole history, I guess, this connection to Aurora wouldn't have happened if my mom wasn't uh, a pastor's kid who looked for a church that was connected to her family's ba- background. My grandfather was a Free Methodist pastor. Turns out the the longest-standing free, um, free Methodist church uh, that's in, still in the same locations when it was founded is in Aurora, Illinois, on Lincoln and Clark. And so it was the closest one. She brought us here. She, um, she's got a, uh, a, a driving faith that kind of you know kept us connected to the church. And one of the things I really appreciate about my mom is that uh, despite this religious back, background, and it was pretty strict growing up, is she, she always made it clear to me that it was okay to question certain things, that, um, that just because a doctrine or a dogma might say one thing doesn't mean that that's actually uh, at the core of truth, love, justice, uh, which to me is, still, is the, obviously the essence of God. Um, and so uh, it, just because it's always been believed a certain way doesn't mean that that's uh, necessarily um, the way that that God intends it to be. Um, and so from a, a relatively young age, I started questioning some of these beliefs, um, thanks to my mom and, I, and my dad as well, both of whom were very critical thinkers and ingrained in me this idea that like, it doesn't matter where the truth leads as long as, as you're pursuing, even if it leads in, in something that is in opposition to what you grew up believing. Right. So at a pretty young age, I started realizing, hey, wait a minute. Like, uh, you know, why, why, uh, why is the church in opposition to gay rights? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. And so I studied that in college. I did a whole research paper. And, uh, and it was the kind of thing that um, I might, I probably never, I might not, you know, be where I, where I feel like I should be, where truth is. If it hadn't been for my mom, for my dad, for my parents, and granting in me this critical thinking and this sort of drive that no matter where it leads, it's more important to pursue where truth is, where justice is, than it is to sort of, you know, stay anchored to a, a, a tradition. Traditions are important; they have their place, but um, I think that's something they they ingrained in me. And, and then my dad transitioning to him took me to Hesed House um, when I when they first opened. So this is, you know, 37 years ago, 36, something like that, as how old they are. So I was six or seven years old uh, the first time I went there, and we went every month. And that had a big impression on me, too, because you, when you meet people, when you're, when you're there, you realize everybody has something to contribute. Everybody has something to offer. And I think from a young age, I realized these, the people that were maybe serving food to like their circumstances are different than ours, but they're no different than us, and that was that had a big impact on me too. Everybody um, matters. The time is now eight eighteen a.m. You're listening to Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. We're glad to be joined with Rick Guzman of the Neighbor Project. Um, 
everywhere I've seen you, you've been boots on the ground helping people. Like I've actually seen you helping people in addition to uh, making administrative and executive decisions with your positions. You have always blended that, and it's a very reassuring thing to a person to see someone who's also got sweat equity in what they do. Uh, we titled this episode, Be the Neighbor. Uh, what is, and that's an, uh, an ode to that piece of artwork and uh, that particular uh, gal, uh, day, what is a neighbor to you? Yeah, I, I love that question. And it's, it's uh, sort of, obviously, there are multiple answers. And in some respects, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind when people think of neighbor is proximity, like your next door neighbor, your neighborhood, the people around you. And that's an important idea, important concept to grab onto. Uh, because, you know, where you live is is the neighborhood because of the neighbors who make it up. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's defined by... And so you're connected to those people. And that's true on a larger level, too. But the, the part of the word neighbor that... Uh, is is why we have it as a neighbor project is not only because of us wanting to reach out to those proximate to us to the people around us and to sort of create an organization that that uh, that creates tools to be used by our neighbors to make their own contributions to the strengthening of our neighborhoods but the word neighbor has a, a deeper meaning and it's not always the one that people immediately go to and so there's the, uh, the story people think of the, a good neighbor, the good Samaritan, uh, is a parable that's in the Bible that um, Curtis knows we, uh, we talked about directly uh, in the uh, sort of commissioning of a piece of artwork that we have in our classroom that says, mm-hmm. be the neighbor. Um, because that parable is a parable about, um, that is told about a man who's beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road and a pastor and a Levite and people in the church pass by. And then a Samaritan who is, you know, in the sort of tradition is a little bit of a, there's sort of these uh, warring factions, so to speak, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't particularly get along. And so it came, so this Samaritan comes by and helps this person who's been beaten and robbed, get help them to get back on their feet. And at the end of the parable, Jesus asks now the obvious somewhat rhetorical question, which of these was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the obvious answer is the one who stopped, the one who helped this person get back on their feet, the one who positioned that person to be able to go on and make their own contributions to their community um, that they wouldn't have been able to do without that. And so when we talk about uh, the Neighbor Project, it is also not just a call of who we want to maybe equip or enlist or, or empower in our communities, but it's also who we want to be. We want to be the neighbor in that story, mm-hmm. the ones who care enough to stop and help people who maybe have fallen on hard times. But it's not just about, like, here's the other dimension of it. I didn't mention that night that I love. There's a, a Martin Luther King quote where he says, you know, that it's, uh, that on the one hand, we are called to be the Good Samaritan. Um, but at some point, we also have to realize that it's not enough uh, to just sort of help the person in a, in a single action. He says we have to come to realize that the whole of Jericho Road needs to be transformed so that people who fall, people don't keep falling into right. the hands, when and women don't fall into the hands of robbers, 
on life's on the journey on life's highway. It's right. it's a beautiful quote that calls us to action, not just uh, to help in a single action, but to sort of look systemically. What can we do to make sure that people don't get into those situations in the first place? That's some of what I mean. It's reactionary. That's some of what we're kind of trying to prevent. You know, when yeah. we think about or break cycles, right. um, that when when people keep falling into being victims to certain things. So with with the sheriff, we're trying to do that. Uh, with the financial empowerment center, we're trying to do that. We're trying to scale up so that we can be helping enough of our neighbors, equipping enough of our neighbors, so that they start being the force that makes the difference. Because more and more people have the financial stability to invest in their neighborhoods, to become homeowners, to to build community wealth that that then starts to impact everything because you know our schools are funded by the tax base mm -hmm. uh, and the tax base is held lower when there's instability when there is because instability doesn't bring doesn't you know kind of call for investment so the, as home ownership goes up so does investment so does community wealth so do businesses choose to to locate in the community more disposable um, income people got more uh, of that absolutely exa no, exactly and so and so stores benefit that's one of the things that we're what we always say like you know there are people who are paying money into uh into debt yeah. rather into you know what could be uh supporting local stores or businesses um, you know, they, they could be renovating their homes. Mm -hmm. They could be investing in things that, that lift up an entire community. And we, we inherently believe that all people have that ability within them. Uh, and that in many, in many cases, people just need the tools, the resources to be able to grab onto um, or to be able to, to realize those abilities and start impacting and building and strengthening their community to the benefit of us all. Right. And so it's sort of this like uh, Bono, I think, called it like selfish uh, or, uh, selfish uh, oh, enlightened self-interest. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea like, OK, wait a minute. If my neighbor is doing well and my neighbors are doing well, doesn't that make my neighborhood more stable and better for me? And I live here. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's sort of. So it's like if you think about it, when other people one of the things we say, too, is that when when our neighbors prosper, we do too. Or yep. when our neighbors prosper, our city thrives. It's really, a, it's really about this sort of grassroots effort to try to strengthen individuals so that they go on to strengthen the community. Catch a and fish for a man, you feed him for a day. Teach a man how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Exactly, you know? and sometimes people will take that another step, which is that if you can help somebody own a piece of that pond, start a small business to do something to be a stockholder to be an investor now there's more that 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 impact can be magnified even more and that's kind of where we that's what we're trying to do too we are we're absolutely doing those educational things mm -hmm. teaching amanda fish but we're also trying to get people into ownership into right. asset building into things because when people have those resources more disposable income um, wealth that they have that makes them a a, a uh, that puts them in a position to be able to invest in the very neighborhoods that we all live in um, and the the, the, the the housing stock, the school, uh, the tax base that funds our schools, mm -hmm. all these things um, ultimately cannot be um, cannot be sort of uh, lifted up uh, on their own. Right. They really need kind of a rising tide of, of people who are empowered. 
uh, to be able to, to make contributions towards, towards that kind of stability. Okay. I think you have a bunch of different programs going on now. So you talked mm -hmm. a couple about um, the financial empowerment. What's coming up where people can learn some of these ways? Yeah, so there are, uh, so kind of our core services, uh, educational services, one of the things that kind of really probably meets the most people where they're at is this financial empowerment center, which anybody can take advantage of. And so it's not just for uh, the, some of the groups that we're targeting, like in partnership with mm -hmm. the sheriff, anybody who's interested in, and the, the, the kind of the four things that we target there are safe banking. So there's, you know, something like, 30% uh, of Aurora that is either unbanked or underbanked, not getting access to all banking services, which creates financial instability. So helping people get connected to full banking services and use those services, credit building, so that's helping. There's a huge number of people that don't have any credit established at all, so helping people establish that or build it. Um, so we're helping people increase their credit through a variety of programs, educational, but also kind of, this is the Financial Empowerment Center is this asset-based coaching model that kind of really looks at people's strengths and figures out, okay, how can we build on that? Right. Uh, and then they also look at reducing debt um, and uh, savings. Um, so, you know, another statistic we're trying to, to fight against is this national statistic that 40% of people 40% of households don't have $400 of savings that they can call on even in an emergency. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yep. And so we're trying to uh, help, you know, we're working on with people first to just sort of work towards savings. And we have a goal of, of one week of salary that is saved, that is your rainy day fund. And then we work on a month. And then we start to look at bigger things like maybe home ownership or something else that creates an asset that is for you that can be leveraged to, to borrow, to send kids to school, that can be passed on, um, that creates a safety net. Um, and so this, I'll use that as the segue into some of these other programs. Um, we're seeing, I think, uh, time and time again, and, and maybe we'll get time to talk about more of this later, but that there are, there are more resources, uh, programs, opportunities, and kind of safety nets for people who are homeowners who have some sort of an asset to fall back on than there are for renters. Um, and uh, an, an example of that is, I think, a little bit in uh, a couple of the programs that we have, we've gotten a grant from the Illinois Housing Development Authority to, uh, to be able to uh, promote and assist with online applications for two big programs. The state of Illinois has put put $300 million into an emergency rent assistance and an emergency mortgage assistance program. And so, um, and I look at these two things and I say, okay, well, these are the, these two programs are a good example of how, in some ways, how there are more supports for homeowners and how if you can get somebody into that situation, they might be better off because there's the homeownership, the emergency mortgage uh, assistance program uh, that is going to start. It's not available now, but it'll be available on Monday for people to apply online. Um, and it is, uh, let's see here. So you, so you can apply online at, so I just make sure I've got, it's, it's ema.ihda.org. Y'all get a pen and write that down at home. Get that information. Get that information. So ema.ihda.org. That's Emergency Mortgage Assistance Program, Emergency Mortgage Assistance, Illinois Housing Development Authority. Org, so ema.ihda.org. Um, and for homeowners, there is $15,000 of assistance. It's the most generous program of its kind 
in the nation right now as a response to the, the, the economic shutdowns and the people, homeowners who've been impacted. So if you are uh, at least a month behind, if you were, so you have to be current as of uh, February 29th. Um, this was a leap year. So as of February 29th, you had to have been current on your mortgage. But if you've fallen behind since March 1st and you're at least a month behind, this program, you can access $15,000. It is not a loan. It doesn't need to be repaid. That can also, if you, if somebody, there's a lot of people who took advantage of those forbearances or the, the, the deferrals of their mortgage payments for three or six months, it can pay that off for you as well. So you know, there were a lot of things that were made available to mortgage holders, to homeowners, like, hey, if you're in trouble right now, just, you know, you know, just click a couple buttons and you don't have to pay your mortgage for three months. If you need to extend that, you can extend that to six months. And so people got this immediate relief. And then for most people, they've been able to move those payments to the end of their right. uh, of their mortgage. Well, for renters, they don't have that opportunity. They don't have, there was a, an eviction moratorium, but there was nothing saying that once that moratorium expires, which by the way, it does it this weekend, actually oh. it was extended. Yeah, oh, okay. August 22nd. Oh, wow. It, ex it was extended one last time. It was supposed to expire uh, July 27th, but it was yeah. extended to the 22nd of August. There, you still owe that money and you can be evicted if you don't. Right. And so that leads me to the other program, the emergency rent assistance program which is the same website except it's era.ihda.org so okay. era.ihda.org um, that program provides five thousand dollars of rental emergency rental assistance still the largest 150 million dollar and most generous five thousand dollars per household program of its kind in the nation is is, is what we're told is and um and so that program is available right now. So that program rolled out first last Monday. You can apply right now. Yesterday, last night, I got an email saying they're extending the deadline to next Friday. So, um, so the 28th. Awesome. Um, and the way that that program works is similar. You have to have been current on your rent prior to the pandemic. So prior to March 1st. So uh, actually, so February 1st, you have to have been current on your on your rent and then fallen behind after March 1st. And, it, and you do have to certify, you have to basically swear under potential penalty of perjury that, that you have had some sort of economic loss of income sure. due to uh, you know, your business shutting down layoffs. It could be anything, but sort of connected to this pandemic. And if that's the case, if you've lost income and uh, you... Uh, are behind on your rent, you can get $5,000 of assistance that will pay, not only pay your back rent, but it'll, if, if you owe $2,000, for an example, it'll pay your back rent and it'll give you a $3,000 credit towards your future rent as well. So it gives you some breathing room to be able to hopefully find a job and get back into a situation where you can pay. And the mortgage program does the same thing. It'll cover your, your past um, past due as well as your future and it will go all the way through the end of the year so the funds have to be spent by by december 31st but it will pay both past due rent or past due mortgage payments as well as future rent or mortgage payments all the way through the end of the year i think the ild ceo had another maybe that's one that just expired they had one where it was uh, uh they were paying the landlord in, in the rent case of the renter 
they're paying landlords directly or something like that. I believe that there was that in conjunction with another city initiative. Was it the restore? So Is there's, that what I'm thinking yeah, about? so there's, uh, so yes, there was a program that was specifically for businesses because DCEO okay. is a program that works with businesses and the city had a program. You're right, exactly. I believe that that program uh, has has ended at this okay. point. Okay. I, that might be something to, that someone needs to fact check me yeah. on. I, that was an early response that the city uh, put out some of its own money and partnered with DCEO okay. um, on to be able to to put to send some lifelines out to businesses who'd had to shut down on top of the payment, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program uh, that was also out there. Because at first people weren't able to access that, and uh, there were people who really needed lifelines early on. And so that was a program that was targeted specifically at small businesses. Um, but then I should mention that uh, this emergency rent assistance program that we're so we're helping people not only we're not only promoting it, but we're also uh, we've got people on call all the time. We've got this phone tree and this call center. We've been helping literally hundreds. So we've been, we've had one week and one day of promoting this program, and hundreds of calls have come in, and we've helped um, uh, several of, I mean, a very large number of those people, over 100, actually do the application themselves. Some people, it's just kind of like answering questions or pointing them in the direction of, of resources they need, um, but we've uh, helped people in that in that time period, and the state of Illinois, partly because this is such a generous program, they're expecting you know, anywhere from 150 to 200,000 applications. Well, they have 150 million um, at $5,000 a pop only funds 30,000 households. And that's a huge number of households, 30,000 households. But if 30,000 out of 150,000, you know, right. get funded, then 80% of people aren't going to get funded, aren't going to get the assistance they need. And so one of the things I've been giving the city of Aurora a lot of props for is they they saw that, they understood that, as generous and big as this $150 million program was, it wasn't going to help everybody. And so they came up with their own program that I think actually just yesterday they launched. So it overlaps a little bit, but it also has a, a further out deadline, August 31st, for people to apply. And that program uh, will, it, it only pays uh, your back rent, um, but up to two months of past due rent mm -hmm. can be paid through that program too. So a, a pretty generous program. Um, you know, particularly when you consider the difference in resources that the state of Illinois has versus the city. And the city is, um, again, I think, gone out of its way to be one of the few places, other than Cook County and Chicago, I'm not aware of other places that have put such a big investment. I mean, something like half a million dollars that they've put in to say, hey, we want our folks to be taken care of. And if you can't access the state program, if you live in Aurora, you're lucky because you'll get a second bite at the apple. There's right. another chance. So there's another program uh, that is available through the city. Uh, and I'm trying to see if I have their uh, pro their website on here um, on where people can access it. But it's the City of Aurora Rental Assistance Program uh, that is available. And so uh, I think I don't have the exact website of where people should, uh, should go. But uh, if you... Um, here's I'll give the phone number though. If you just call the city's uh, two five six info, okay. I mean, so it's just easy two five six info. They they're getting lots of calls about this already. I know two five six info two five six info two five six info. Get it. That's the easy way to remember how to to access the city of Aurora's rental assistance application, which just went live yesterday. Nice. And so it's great to be able to promote these at the same time because we know a majority of the people we're helping, even though they all need it 
aren't going to get access to it. So um, if you live just outside of Aurora, like make sure you get this because this is your one shot. Um, you know, call the neighbor project. That's 630-906-9400. Um, or just go to our website, neighborproject.us. Um, and uh, and you can you can link to uh, a how to apply document right there. You have to apply online, and uh, so the and, and I'm going back to the state program. You have to apply online, but people are having some issues with it, and that's what we're here for. So if you have any any issues at all, you can call us. Um, but most people have been able to do it on their own, and so we encourage people try to do it on your own. You basically just have to certify a bunch of things, basically sign this is my situation. You have to upload an ID, yeah, um, and verify your income. But really, it's mostly that self-certification. Then, uh, then it gets sent to your landlord. Your landlord has to then upload a copy of your lease and some sort of documentation, a five-day notice, a, a rent ledger that shows that you're behind and proof of ownership. So it's relatively streamlined and simple for the landlord too. And once the, the tenant and the landlord finish, then, they, um, then their, their application is finished and they go into this randomized process to be selected. Um, so, so I really encourage you know, anybody to, to go after this because this is, the, like I said, the most generous program of its kind. But if you don't live in Aurora, this is your one shot. If you do live in Aurora, there are actually going to be two opportunities for two, you. Two five so. six info. Yeah. Remember to call that guy's two five six info. This is great because there's so much information out there and so many opportunities. But just to reiterate, if they need help, if people need help in English and Spanish, yes, you will assist them. Am I eligible? What are my next steps? How do I go about this? Absolutely, and I should say that uh, you know this is another reason why I brought these little sheets here to try to these cheat sheets to say <laughs> that, uh, that while we offer English and Spanish assistance because um, our staff is is about half bilingual, um, they're through the state of Illinois, and and again we can connect you to that neighborproject.us. We can connect you. Um, they're offering uh, services available, English, Spanish, Polish, Italian, French, Romanian, Albanian, Serbian, Arabic, Urdu, Hindi, Cantonese, Tagalog, Mandarin, uh, and ASL. So they're, they're, America. they're providing, uh, they're providing uh, a lot of uh, languages uh, for people to be able to access, knowing that there are people, um, it, that this is a diverse state, right. you know, yeah. just like a diverse city that we're in. Um, and so those resources are available to people. Uh, time is now 8.41 a.m. You are listening to Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. And we're glad to be joined by Rick Guzman of The Neighbor Project. Um, your time in Aurora. How has Aurora changed from when you uh, came back and started doing your thing and breaking ground with uh, Lazarus House? Or excuse me, excuse me Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel House. House. Yep. Um, we do partner with Lazarus House, by the way. And, <laughs> so and, I wasn't wrong. No, no, no. And Hesed House. So those are two, two of our partners. Right, yeah. right. The neighbor, see? That? Uh, That's it. They're, they're great organizations. Yeah. Lazarus House is up in, in uh, the Fox Valley, Northern Fox Valley area, okay. kind of Geneva, St. Charles. Mm -hmm. We partner with them and Hesed House. But okay. it was Emmanuel House. So back to your question. Right. Sorry. Um, how has Aurora changed uh, from then till now? What's some of the biggest changes that you've noticed? So... You know, to me, in some ways, uh, the the change is almost more external. Like people are realizing Aurora is 
as amazing as I saw it when it was the only place in the world that I considered moving and starting a family, right? So when I looked at Aurora and I, you know, kind of like I always say, I kind of, I, part of my childhood, part of my upbringing was in Aurora through my youth group. A lot of my friends were here. Um, and so, uh, so when I looked at Aurora and said, that's the only place for me, like it was because of all of the amazing things that in a, that people are, you know, kind of starting to realize, and 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 really for a little bit of time now. So in 2002, when I moved here, it it wasn't uh, necessarily known for the first thing that came to mind was wasn't necessarily First Fridays, right? Um, you know, because the Paramount, yeah, the yeah. Paramount, right? Because the Paramount wasn't what it was. First, Marissa hadn't started First Fridays yet. There were, um, you know, a number of, of, of people who really helped to bring out and showcase all of these strengths that were, were there. But just like, just like the Neighbor Project, it sort of is this idea of like, well, how do we untap these amazing resources? How do we unleash this potential that is there for Aurora to be a city that just, you know, doesn't really have, um, you, know, a, a, you know, a peer or a neighbor kind of city that really has everything that Aurora has to offer. And that's what drew me here. Of course, crime was significantly higher at the time. There were some of the, there were some issues that uh, Aurora hadn't fully gotten their um, hands around. Um, and so, you know, if you look at 2002 to 2020, there are all sorts, I mean, crime is way down. There are, um, you know, there's half a million people coming to downtown, unfortunately not this year, right. for art, um, you know, for the Paramount or River Edge or these, these kinds of things. Like, previous to COVID, yes. Yeah, these things weren't, weren't happening back then, but uh, that sort of like that multicultural richness was there. The architectural historical significance was there. The diversity clearly was there and was a big part of what drew us here. All these things were there. There were these just amazing untapped resources that weren't, you know, there in the same at the same level, at least in any other community around. And so I think what has changed really, like I said, is more from the external viewpoint. People now realize that Aurora. Sure, there's still we still have some work to do on crime. We still have some work to do. On, uh, I mean, certainly everybody does on on job creation, economic development right. now, but um, but you know I think our our leadership's doing a really good job of being able to continue to mine all of these sort of um, untapped resources that are there, and it's, so it's an ongoing process. And I'm you know we're thrilled to be working with uh, the city right now as such a close partner to be able to just continue. Um, you know, what started, I mean, I think what really, what, you know, I go back to Tom Weisner, uh, who really, you know, when you, he, when he came in, you really started seeing, and it started a little before him. He built on, on efforts before him. Who was the mayor before Mr. Weisner? Uh, Stover was, uh, the, was the mayor. He was the former police chief. And he, uh, and he, so some of those improvements in crime started uh, under Mayor Stover, and they uh, continued and really, I think we started seeing recognition because of just the drastic. About 2007 is where Chief Thomas, uh, my friend who I serve on the Wabanzi Community College uh, Board of Trustees with, he always pointed to 2007 as like, if you look at five years going from 2007 backwards to 2002 versus 2007 forward to 2012, the year when we had no murders, 
it was really this almost like uh, night and day comparison of just where the progress was really starting to take hold. Um, and so that, that now continued by Mayor Irvin, who's also, like I said, continuing to mine these untapped resources and do a great job of really highlighting Aurora for what it is. Because uh, Aurora, like I said, has always been a strong, diverse, rich community. It always has. Uh, and I think just more and more people are starting to realize that, thanks to Mayor Irvin, Mayor Wisner, Mayor Stover, all the people that have done that, great city council members. Um, and again, not to say that, that any of these people are without faults. People, you know, it's it's a process. It's it an effort. But uh, we've been blessed to have some good leadership in this community who believe in this community and who see, I think similar to I do, that see that Aurora sometimes doesn't, and certainly before, wasn't being seen for how great of a community it was. No, it was not. When I worked downtown Chicago, I'd take the train every morning. I would get that from people going downtown and coming back. Where do you live, Curtis? Aurora. Kind of. Kind of. And it's like, no, it's actually pretty nice, but I can't you know, defeat the uh, impression yeah. that they had in their head of it. Yeah, and you know, it's like one of those things where like, one of the, the truisms that you hear in – uh, sometimes in, in the media is it takes 10 good stories to overcome every bad story. And of course, you know, for, for decades, that was the storyline of Aurora. And so it's taken some real concerted effort uh, by some, uh, I think, really uh, dedicated, passionate leaders to be able to help. And it, you know, and it's not just the mayors. I mean, thank goodness for Arlene Hawks, who you had on here, uh, who, yeah, she who got, didn't, yeah. you know, she didn't need to take over SciTech and rescue that sort of, and and to continue to invest in that. And of course, you know, over all these years, just investing in countless, countless uh, lives through the arts and theater program at East Aurora. Um, but you know, Marissa Amoni, uh, who's really kind of yes. helped to to spark this movement, this artistic movement in downtown, and just bringing, you know. Ten years ago, you never would have thought that you could come down and see thousands of people out on the street on a you Friday night, right? I mean, like, Coco <laughs> crawls and all, yeah, all right, exactly. Yep. And so people, it's 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 people from all over that it takes. But the one common thread that connects Marissa, Arlene, Tom Weiser, Mayor Irvin, you know, I I, I like to maybe be included in that in that group. Oh, so let you go in there. I think you're, I think you're, you know, yeah. but yeah, you were no, in there. and I and I don't mean to be not fishing here or anything, but the common thread that. The reason I identify with those people, the reason I mention those people is because they all saw the potential and the richness um, and the greatness of Aurora before other people saw it. And they invested in it and they invested in others in ways to sort of bring out their abilities to shine. And so First Fridays, you know, Marissa would be the first one to tell you, First Fridays wouldn't be what it was if we didn't have these amazing small businesses, if True. we didn't yeah. have yep. these diverse group of artists and people that were that were creating right in our midst. And people wouldn't be aware of it, though, if, if people hadn't come together in a way. So it's always a collaborative effort. And so it takes people who believe in that, who can see it, even when others don't, but then also invest in something that is other than themselves. Right to be able to empower and equip other people to be able to shine, to be able to contribute, to be able to strengthen and revitalize. And that's, that's what I keep seeing over and over. And so the change, like I said, isn't necessarily in the fabric of Aurora. It's in, you know, thanks to some people that have really helped highlight all of this stuff. It's in the perception of Aurora. And of course that has an impact too. As, as, as perception changes, more people think, oh, yeah, maybe I'm going to 
look at downtown Aurora to to start a business or right. or move to Aurora, take advantage of one of these great programs. Another one we partner with is uh, there's a Choose Aurora program, down payment assistance, three thousand uh, dollars that you can get on top of all these other down payment assistance, right? Just for buying an Aurora um, that you can access. Um, and so a lot of these programs, I should mention, are also um, income qualified. So uh, under a certain, you have to be under a certain area median income to qualify for them. But some of them, so like the mortgage assistance program, uh, you can be above the area median income, 120% of that. Um, uh, others of them are oftentimes like at an 80% of area median income. But these programs are available uh, for people um, and I think more and more people are starting to look at Aurora as, oh, well, that's a unique, cool, rich, vibrant community uh, that, uh, that is, has a lot more to offer than some of our, uh, some of the other cities around. We won't, we won't do too many comparisons, you know, call no, out. No, 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 right, right, right. We won't name names, you know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, shout out Oswego, yeah. you know, shout out Oswego. <laughs> But uh, the time is now 8.51 a.m. You're listening to Good Morning Aurora, and we are sitting down with Mr. Rick Guzman of The Neighbor Project. So I did want, a, I would, I did want to plant a flag here uh, real quick in the conversation. So COVID-19 has come and has drastically changed how we do many things, up to and including volunteering, some of the strong initiatives that you guys always had. I feel like you guys had a consistent, uh, prior to COVID, you had a consistent calendar of events. Uh, besides those two economic, uh, or those two initiatives, rather, what does the Neighbor Project have coming soon? Um, and is there any plans to perhaps ease into some of the more tangible, physical, on-site initiatives, perhaps so, socially distanced? Yeah, so we're, we're still doing a lot of what, so we've moved all of our counseling and coaching services online. They right. are virtual, but we're still doing that. And in fact, our numbers in 2020 are... Um, I'm not sure if they're necessarily up year to year, but we're on target to mm -hmm. to meet or probably exceed. Actually, I know we're going to because we have some new programs. So we're going to significantly exceed the number of people. Um, so our, our core programs should meet or exceed what we met last year. But with our new programs, we're going to I mean, we're we've almost so since our merger in 2018, we've doubled our staff. And this year for the first time with that increased staff we're on pace to more than double the number of households that we uh, are working with and helping to access some sort of resource or some sort of tool for them to make their own advancements. Uh, so, so, uh, so by the end of 2020, we will um, have been able to, to look back and say, wow, we've, we've doubled the number of households that we're, um, that we're assisting, that we're working with, that we're equipping. Um, so we're continuing to do uh, homeownership education classes for people we, you know, we're anticipating not necessarily immediately, but at some point, potentially as early as this fall, a potential spike in foreclosures. So we continue to partner with the Kane County uh, Foreclosure Mediation Program. And if people are at risk of foreclosure or have had a filing against them, uh, we can help uh, with, with people uh, in that situation. Um, the, the, the county court system requires people to go through our foreclosure uh, programming uh, uh, to, to be able to do that. So all those things are still happening. We continue to do a lot of our services are for, uh, are for families that also have maybe purchased a home and we're continuing to equip. Right. Um, so we have workshop one this, this Saturday that, for example, is for existing homeowners that, uh, that are learning DIY skills or just all sorts of different things that we try to try to help people you know, continue to be successful homeowners. 
Um, and so those kinds of things uh, continue. But maybe the, the easiest and best thing for people to sort of tap into and see what's going on and kind of get this breadth of what the neighbor project has become, because you know, while for a long time home ownership was what we really focused on primarily, now it is, I think, financial uh, empowerment and strengthening as much as anything else. Um, we have a uh, September 19th, we're doing a virtual gala but the difference about virtual things is that uh, because we're not providing the tuxedo event that you came to and volunteered yeah, at last damn. year, uh, <laughs> yeah. Curtis, um, because we're, we don't have that sit-down uh, sort of situation, it's free right. to anybody. Right. So, uh, so go to our website, neighborproject.us, and you, there's a, a banner where you can click on and register for that. There'll be a silent auction. There'll be an opportunity to donate, right. all that stuff. But it's going to be a, a great night of vision casting. September 19th. September 19th at 7.30, I believe, is the time. And you just it's free to register, and you can see a lot about um, what we've been up to and where we're going. Awesome. Um, and so that's, that's a great opportunity to connect uh, because there's always, so much, there's always so much going on. We're promoting these state programs. We're promoting and partnering with the city on their programs. Uh, we've got uh, this, this initiative uh, with, with the sheriff right. to be targeting certain folks. The, this partnership with the city to target anybody who could use some assistance with you know, getting connected to banking or building their credit or savings. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, who couldn't see to, you know, stand to, to see their savings increase or their, their credit improved or whatever? So these are targeted for, for, for a lot of folks, and a lot of these things are available now we still do have a, a handful of hands-on um, volunteer opportunities mm -hmm. too, uh, and we've got a great uh, volunteer and donor relations coordinator, uh, Cheryl. Uh, so Shout out to Cheryl. You know Cheryl, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that, and she's she's been getting Cheryl, keeping Sarah, people active. Everybody, the whole squad, everybody. Right. We've got, <laughs> got we have a, we have there. an amazing uh, great team, yep. uh, and they're Joseph. always they're always looking at how do we involve other people and yeah. so sometimes that's hands-on volunteering sometimes that's you know we have opportunities for people to get into mentoring relationships with with people on the pathway to, to home ownership right. there's all sorts of ways uh, for people to get involved so the time is now 8:57. we like to end the show on a positive note um christine take us there wow we've learned so much i mean <laughs> i think just kind of being a neighbor and being a leader for our community we were talking earlier about some of the people in the community that have represented and sponsored Aurora, but they really didn't start that way. You know, they were just champions for the community, for a greater effort, for building a better community, and that's where they're at today. So everybody just keep on keeping on. Yep. Uh, what would you like to, what do the people of Aurora need to take with them in a positive fashion for today? Something that they can something actionable, something to keep in their mind. Well, so what I always like to sort of think about is just like it when you look at a macro level, there there are big issues that still need to be tackled. But there's always something you can do, right? Mm -hmm. So just I think if if we can kind of just sort of sit in a moment, particularly now with so many people struggling in a moment of of empathy, try to put yourself in other people's shoes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and really just sort of think, okay, what if I wasn't in this situation of being as blessed as I am? Or, or you know, I've got a, I'm struggling with something, but what are the blessings that I have, and how can I share those blessings with others? What is a small way 
that I can contribute because ultimately, like I look back at how we started our first housing project uh, that we called Brian House, and then we started Emmanuel House, and and I think like, man, that was like we didn't know what we were doing, but thank goodness for that experience because it it laid the groundwork for what the neighbor project has become, and so you know, if I hadn't just, if my wife and I hadn't just said like, you know what, we don't necessarily know how to start a housing organization or so if we had just sort of like wrestled with that for a while and thought, oh, this is too big. Um, we just started with one, you know, we raised money to buy one small apartment building. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, it, it just sort of, um, we, we partnered with other people. We reached out for help. We said, how can we fill, fill in gaps and it turned into uh, something that is bigger. And so don't, but don't think about where you're going. Just think about how can you help one person today? Yep. Mm -hmm. And how can you play a role in helping unlock or untap the potential in somebody else? That's very nice. Um, I, you know what? I appreciate that. I'm gonna plant this flag for the audience before we go. I was blessed to be able to go through the, to the Chicago CLI uh, conference community leadership uh, yes initiative. I, yeah. I really appreciate that and there I met with a, a bunch of teams it was a great fashion in which we did things and I was told by some good people there that I should join AmeriCorps which I did and it changed my life and through that I became FEMA certified in managing and developing volunteers took an independent study course and it changed my life so I appreciate the opportunity to go there with which to sharpen my knife with another like-minded individual and to help me continue trying to help others. That's it. Paying it forward, paying it forward, paying it forward. The time is now 9 o'clock a.m. Ooh, right on time. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast, and we're thankful that we have a friend of the show who came over today, Mr. Rick Guzman of The Neighbor Project. Please Thank check you. us out on YouTube. Hit the like button and the subscribe button. We hope that you guys have a blessed, positive, and powerful day. Pay it forward. Stay motivated and happy and be the neighbor. And with that, we out. Peace. Peace.